Romans 10, 14, and 15. And, and hey, Paul is the guy who took the gospel to the end of the then known world. And he wrote in Romans chapter 10. It's coming on the screen, I, I guarantee you. In a minute. Maybe it's not. Anyhow, I'll read it to you. How then shall they call on whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except to be sent? How's it going to happen if we don't get behind this whole thing? And uh, I'd, I'd like to say, it's not like saying here in America, well, they can get saved if they want to. There's churches on every corner, or radio and TV, there's crusades. Hey, I want to say there is no place on earth like the place where we live. The amens are overwhelming here. But, you know, I just say that the rest of the world does, they don't live like we do. There, there's not the opportunities that we have. There's not the conveniences that we have. There's no place on earth like where God has allowed us to live. And tonight, uh, Pastor Darrell asked that Chris Holman and I would share about our recent trip to India. And we just want to give you a brief picture of what it's like there. Now, I enjoy the culture. I've been going for 20 years, probably over 30-some trips. Um, when they were seeing all these languages, I thought, boy, if Chris Oman and I had really paid attention and learned Hindi, we could be singing a verse in Hindi. But I've learned, gone all these trips, I, I don't know one verse in Hindi except hallelujah. It's the only word I know. In, in Hindi, because it's a very difficult language from the, never mind. Uh, it's hard. But anyhow, uh, I enjoy going, I enjoy the people there, but there's only 2 to 3% of Christians in the area where we're going to work. Only 2 to 3%. And the rest are obviously heathen, idol temples on almost every corner, and therefore they just will not find Jesus Christ by themselves. It's going to take somebody, Paul said, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to preach, uh, believe, unless somebody tells them? So tonight, it's really exciting because we have uh, here not only us, Chris and myself, have Matt and Lena Reed from uh, Mexico, and I'm sure it's the same situation in Mexico, not America. We need to take the gospel. We've got Dennis Elroy, uh, Dennis Elrod, excuse me, back again from uh, recruiting missionary pilots to train to go into the jungles, just like he did in the very beginning when he started flying planes. Now he's training other people to go into the, uh, fly into the mountains, bring sick people out, fly missionaries in. And thirdly, we have Dr. Paul and Eileen Allen just arrived this week from the Dominican Republic. They have seven or eight different Bible schools going every week, Christian training Christian workers for the Lord. So we're going to hear from them just a little bit later. But first of all, my text for tonight and tomorrow morning is John 4, 35, where it says, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields. We need to lift up our eyes. We have to see. And that's why we're having a service on missions this weekend. I want us to do that tonight. I want us to very realistically uh, tonight look on the fields and see what is being done, see what the need is, and then hear from these workers who are in other parts of the world. Let's look at the world tonight, and then specifically begin by looking at India. In a moment, I'm going to show you a video 
When Chris Oldman was there with me, he took a lot of pictures. I never come home with pictures, hardly. He took pictures, even uh, posted them on Facebook while we were there. Maybe you saw some of those pictures. But we're going to show a video at this point uh, with the world uh, circulating uh, to India. Then in the very center of India to a primitive village by the name of Itarsi, which is on the other side of the world. That's where Dr. Matthew Thomas's parents went to that primitive village in the 1940s, began to work, paid a big price, but it is a church that's packed out every service, Bible school, seminary, orphanage going on because their work's been carried on by their son, Dr. Matthew Thomas. He'll be here with us a couple of weeks before he goes back to India, and uh, it's, it's just a great thing. I want you to look at the scenes with the pictures and some of the things that are mentioned. other side of the world to Itarsi. Uh, these are the graduate students that come to the house every morning at 4.15 for prayer. 4.15 in the morning, we gather for an hour of prayer before the day starts. This is a new clinic that has been built with the uh, uh, industrial school on the second floor with the computers we help supply, but that's the new clinic building. And that's the main classroom building. When I first went to India, this was a vacant lot. We prayed God would give the lot, and uh, we received it, and uh, built the building, and all the classrooms, library, everything takes place in these three uh, stories, two twin towers. This is the uh, ladies' dormitory for the ladies' Bible school where the uh, ladies live in this particular building. Uh, this is the entire student body. We took a student body picture. You see... Uh, I'm sitting next to Matthew Thomas in the front row, and Chris Ullman is right there. But uh, this is about 140 uh, students that are enrolled in the school at this time. And these are the graduate students who have already completed Bible school, and these were in our classes, uh, mine and Chris's classes, uh, for the graduate program. Typical road, and uh, the cows have the right-of-way. Cows are sacred to the Hindus. And cows are everywhere. So there he is laying, or that cow is laying in the middle of the road. This couple came, and uh, we'd prayed for them that they would have a baby. So they came to back with the answer of prayer and showed the baby that God had given them. Typical uh, scene on the street, uh, Hindu man. This shows the uh, Hindu signs with the, the gods out in front of the little uh, candy store on our street where, uh, where Matthew Thomas lives. Uh, Hindu temples on many of the corners, uh, idols, grotesque idols inside that people come to worship there. This is a church in a neighboring city where uh, Chris Ullman went on a Sunday morning and preached a Sunday morning service in Hoshinabad. That's the city that has the Holy River that runs through it that people go to wash in the Holy River there in that town. This is the uh, one of the buildings for the dormitory, we have a building like this for the girls' dormitory and also one for the boys' dormitory. We have over 100 orphans and uh, they have really nice facilities for them to live in. Here are the little boys, they're praying, and here are the little girls who are praying. And here are all the orphans, boys and girls together outside, and Matthew Thomas is speaking to them outside. They are well behaved, uh, praise the Lord, pray, sing, they even lead worship. They do a great job. Typical transportation, I want you to notice here. 
Look, there's uh, four children plus the mother and father. Notice the little dog out of the bag, the water uh, tank on the back. That's the way the family travels over there. These are market scenes, uh, scenes from the marketplace. We don't have regular stores in Itarsi. It's kind of like a bartering system. And uh, as you see the various scenes, you can see how things are bought and sold there, fruit stand here. This is a street up through the marketplace. When we bring uh, the SUV up, you can imagine trying to drive there between all the motorcycles parked and the cows and the people carrying things on their head. Uh, if you have a good horn, you uh, probably can get through, but that's the scene of the street in the marketplace. There's another scene with the cows, people shopping, and we try to drive through this with the motorcycles parked and so on. Very interesting getting around, and this is all in the city of Itarsi where the Bible school and the church is. Here are ladies filling their water pots. They have to carry these pots from their homes to the one place where there's water, and uh, that's the way that they survive, by carrying water. It's almost like back in Bible times. Here we are in uh, Matthew Thomas' house, Elizabeth Thomas, uh, great host. These are uh, the cook, and um, this is where we ate every meal at uh, their dining room table. Here I am preaching. I interpret as one of the uh, teachers in the Bible college. His name is Samson, does a great job of interpreting, but I'm preaching. This is in the local church there in Itarsi. Oh, here we are in the marketplace. Uh, I think Chris Ullman put this picture in. A, I think I'm buying shirts or at least looking at some shirts in the marketplace. Here's the uh, student uh, assembly meeting going on in the college building. Chris Ullman is speaking through an interpreter from the uh, pulpit, but this is a picture of the entire student body where we have chapel every morning and then some of the classes would meet right here. Actually, we can see 1,400 people in uh, the Bible College building on the ground floor. Hindu temple, shrine by the roadside. Here we are in praise and worship. This is the local church in Itarsi. Every seat is filled. The young men are leading up in front and then uh, some of the lady students are also uh, worshiping and leading people in worship. Great praise and worship takes place every service. Good, good. I want to ask Chris Holman to just come and share some uh, further thoughts of his, his uh, impressions in Itarsi. Well, thank you. God bless you guys. And I tell you what, we could sure feel your prayers uh, while we were there. So grateful for everyone who uh, got behind what we were doing and, and helped us in prayer. You know, it's interesting. I'm a philosopher and I've tutored mathematics. I love science and teach some science classes. And when you do those kinds of things, you look for something that's universal. And obviously the laws of logic appear to be universal. Uh, the, the language of mathematics seems to be a universal language. Obviously the experimental method and so forth. But you know what? There is a language that is more basic than that. And it's more universal than that. It is the worship of the one true God. Now, we spent a lot of time in worship services there in India, and because most of the uh, native uh, attendees were, uh, their primary language was Hindi, a lot of the worship took place in Hindi. 
It's a little difficult sometimes, especially if you don't know the tune on how to, how to sing along. So I thank God for a prayer language. I was able to just, a lot of times, just pray in tongues and worship in tongues while, while we were worshiping. But what was so amazing, especially when I visited that church in Hoshangabad and uh, was able to go into a, a congregation of people I'd never met before, never seen before, I was able to actually uh, recognize where I was at. I got a true bearing on where I was at. And I began my message with them by saying, you know what? The words, I don't know, but I know your spirit. It's very clear that the spirit of God is moving and working in India. India is uh, 1.2 billion people and only a small percentage are Christian. But even that small percentage makes India one of the largest Christian countries. If It's possible that nationwide up to 6% claim Jesus as Lord. That's possible. Some, some databases say that. And that means that it's larger than most of the Christian populations of Europe. But India is a place, obviously, of lots and lots of, of, of uh, difficulties and, and hindrances. Uh, among those are Hindu nationalism that regards conversion as an act of treason. And religious pluralism that sees Jesus as one of many avatars of Vishnu or some other of the 330 million gods that the Hindus worship and also the caste and tribal hostilities that resemble racism as we understand racism here in America. And finally, the grinding poverty. One third of the world's poorest people live in India. In the geographical center lies Itarsi. And Itarsi is the home of the Central India Theological Seminary. And it's a place that has Central India outreach involving a seminary, two Bible colleges, two orphanages, vocational training schools, and then they feed and uh, all the staff, students, and orphans three meals a day. They're going to have a clinic before very long. And you know what? God has put a very bright light in Atarsi, India. And when you see something like this, you recognize it is a tremendous honor and privilege to be able to work and serve people like that and be able to see the church go forward. Amidst the deep darkness in India, there shines a light, uh, a bright light in Atarsi. My trip lasted 19 days. Travel there takes over 34 hours. And while there, I was blessed with the opportunities for service to the church and the Christians in, in Atarsi. I preached five sermons, including traveling to an adjacent city on my own. I led two chapel services for the college. I was able to form a library committee. Um, and I'm a librarian, and I held four hours of meetings uh, to help the um, library for the seminary uh, with seminary staff members and students in attendance. I taught for seven days on the topic of biblical creation and uh, scientific aspects as well, and also apologetics. I prayed with the seminary students each morning. Now, they said they were going to start at 4.30, but as is often the case with Matthew Thomas, they started earlier, so I had to set my alarm even earlier. And there they were praising and worshiping the Lord, beating them away on tambourines and Indian drums, and honoring God every single morning. I prayed, and, and we accompanied Pastor Thomas on several prayer visitations. It's amazing how they treat the older people in India. It's incredible. I loved it. We love praying with the older Christians that we met. I was also able to purchase with donations and the support that people gave uh, and brought with me two computers, two video cameras, two tripods, and assorted uh, recording and networking equipment. You know, I found the, the Atarsi Christians to be incredibly devout and, um, and selfless. I never carried my bags once. 
I was never alone, never walked alone, even one time. I was fed and housed like a prince, even though the power does go out from time to time, but we do the best we can. And these people, they know how to worship. And the volume's incredible. And the sweat pours off their face after they get done worshiping because they're doing it with all their might, just like David did when he danced before the Lord. It's the same spirit, might as well. And so it was my great honor to work with Reverend Sonny Joseph and Reverend Joseph Vargas and Reverend Verma and Pastor Samson that our pastor referred to and, and Pastor Wilson and Pastor Felix and Pastor Moses and Pastor Binu and of course, Dr. Matthew Thomas and his wife, Elizabeth, who gave me a great elixir for my, di my diabetes. It's helped my blood sugar come down. The Indians eat food like medicine, they say, and it's been a blessing to discover that. And of course, Dr. Daryl Merrill Sr. And my hope is to return again next year. Finally, I just want to mention that this is the place that St. Thomas went to. You know, he's the first person to say, my Lord and my God, in the Bible, right? And it's very good records, very good tradition. This is where St. Thomas went. So the Christians there have a 2,000-year heritage. And if you can pray, and if you can give, and if you can involve yourself in ministry that will be a blessing to people in other countries, it will change you. You'll never be the same. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. It's really kind of exciting to, all on this weekend, be able to just to share some of these things, what's happening in the world. And uh, we want to briefly hear from three other couples from the mission field. And uh, we're going to be introducing them in a minute. Very interesting thing is I thought about this night. Every one of these couples came to Christian Life Church as young people, and they made this their church home. Uh, they worked in the church. They were part of the body. Then we prayed over them and sent them out, and uh, as we sensed the call of God on their lives. If you notice tonight, uh, Leanne, the worship team, as soon as Matt Reed came in, he was on the worship team when he was part of CLC, Congregation, she put him right back to work on the worship team because that's where he was for many of years. Matt, why don't you come and uh, share first of all, would you welcome Matt and Lena from Tenacingo, Mexico. It's great to be here tonight. And uh, we, we consider Christian Life Church our, our church home. Uh, God knew what he was doing. Uh, when we started our marriage and started raising our kids, this was our home church. Um, he, we found it in the Yellow Pages back in 1999, and God just knew how, how much our hearts and our spirits would be, would be tied with this body. And uh, we, we've been in Mexico five years now, and in that time frame, there's so much that has happened, and I don't have time to tell you that, about that, but I want to tell you about four people. Marco and Yolanda. We met them about a month after we arrived in Mexico, and we were welcomed and kind of shoved into their chaotic life, and um, we have been able to have throughout, throughout these years uh, bring the peace of Christ to, the, to their family in different, in different moments of, of ten, tension, and uh, we just pray that they would continue to still uh, cling to the Lord and seek, seek Him to bring restoration to their marriage and their family. Stephanie, she's an 11-year-old girl who, when she was six, both her parents, mom and dad, came to the United States for work, and uh, she's not seen them since. She's, so for the last six years, she's been raised by her grandmother, met her when she came to our uh, place where we help kids with their homework, and uh, really hard in heart, but I've seen moments of, of tenderness in, in her, and we just, we just want to continue pouring into her life. 
And finally, Marisol, she's a, a longtime member of the Comunidad Cristiana, where, where we attend. And uh, she is a prayer warrior um, and really an encourager for us there and in the church. And uh, it's been neat to, to get some of the local Tenancingo perspective uh, from her. And Lena's also had the opportunity to be a blessing to her, to, to give her some counseling and, and some, some circumstances there. So um, the, the vision that international teams who we're serving with has, has laid out um, is to have 50 communities in, in the world by the year 2020 where no one is forgotten and where everyone has access to, to food, freedom, and forgiveness. And so we're, we're wanting Tenancingo to be one of those places, specifically the San Jose neighborhood. Uh, it's about three or 4,000 people, and that's where we, where we want to invest our time. And um, we just pray that you keep joining us in prayer. We, I have a, we have a new family magnet. And you can find out more at, at mattlina.com. Right as you exit on either side, those, those stands have a magnet. There's enough for everyone to take one. So please do that. And um, hello to my mom who's watching from China. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Matt. And you can see their children up there. Their children are uh, up there with Lena. And they're in the uh, children's program uh, tonight. I'm going to ask Dennis Elrod to come. And uh, when he left here from our church. He went with Wycliffe as a pilot to the jungles in Egypt, Indonesia, I believe it was, right? Yep. And uh, now he's here back recruiting and training other younger pilots to uh, go into that world ministry just like he did as a pilot in Indonesia. Well, first of all, I want to say greetings from Anne and the boys. Every time I come to the Midwest, Anne is just, Anne says, oh, I totally want to be there with you. Um, but this was a recruiting trip. And when you think about a recruiting trip, I've been awake from 5.15 to about 10.30 at night each day this week. And so if I nod off back there, please show me some grace. Um, but when we came here 21 years ago, this was a church that took us in, equipped us, taught us how to serve, and sent us out. And oftentimes when we speak at a church, I'll end with, I'll just say, and all the people that you have no idea who you're going to meet, a Nona Opie, a Pop Pius, a Pop Pilipus. And those stories you're going to hear in heaven when they're going to come up to you and just say, let me tell you what your gift did. I had that, mo that moment this week. Um, last night uh, over the dinner table, somebody said, hey, have you had any God sightings this week? And I had to think back to standing in front of the Wycliffe tent, and there's an airplane there, and it's like, honestly, after, after 25 years of flying, it's an airplane until I heard somebody on the other side say, oh yeah, we just got this airplane from Indonesia. And I turned and I looked at it, and it just struck me, that's the very plane I flew. All the times that I was bringing Bibles in, the people I was bringing back to the hospital, the national translator, the national um, evangelist, I dropped off in the middle of nowhere, and he starts hiking through the mountains to go to the next village. And it just struck me. How many stories have I not heard? And then later on, I looked up and across the way, I mean, there's 500,000 people there throughout the course of the week. I see this young Indonesian man and it's like, wait a minute, that's Rio. Eight years ago, my wife and I started mentoring him. He had just, um, he wanted to be a pilot. Well, everybody wants to be a pilot there, but she gave him all these psychological tests and everything. We said, he can do it. 
Eight years ago, I started working with him on teaching him how to fly. And I ran over and I said, Rio. And we threw our arms around each other. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, last week, I just passed my last license I need to fly to go back as a missionary pilot to my own people. And so last night when, he said, when this gentleman said, what are your God sightings this week? I thought, the stories that I could pass about families that I have served overseas. And I look at Rio and I say, what stories will I be hearing firsthand from the people that he is going to impact? And each one of us has a part in that as we multiply ourselves. And as Pastor said, as you bring in people and send them out, I just want to say, well done. Be ready for God to use you. Be open to God to use you in the lives of somebody in this church, in the lives of somebody in this community. And someday we will rejoice with them. Thank you for letting us be your ministers, your missionaries out in the world. Come get a prayer card. Lift us up in prayer. And thank you. Thank you. Amen. And uh, take our greetings back to Ann and the boys. You see their picture up here as well. And take our greetings back uh, to them and bring her along sometime. That would be good. Uh, Dr. Paul and Eileen Allen are here. Just came in this week for Dominican Republic. They're running, I don't know, when I was there, seven, eight Bible schools every week. And uh, God is using them to train workers out of the Dominican Republic and going around the world. Would you welcome Dr. Paul Allen? Thank you so much, Pastor Merrill. You know, we've, um, the connection that we have with the church, it goes back probably 35 years now when we were driving up every couple of times a week from Wheaton, Illinois for service and be a part of the uh, teaching at the college. And from the very get-go, our hearts were knit with this body. We knew that there was something that God was in and it's very special. And here we are, 33 years later on the field. We'll, we'll, we'll complete 33 years this August. And um, to see how God takes something as a seed and grows it, you never know where it's going, but you know that if God's in control, it's going somewhere good. And it's going to do something that's better than what you could do on your own. And thankful for all the uh, support of the church and their love and support through the years. Without it, we couldn't, we couldn't do it. We're very grateful. Um, Today, 33 years later, um, our focus in ministry is basically in five different areas. And one of the key areas involves leadership training. Pastor Merrill mentioned the Bible schools. Over the past 10, 11 years, we've seen approximately 1,600 graduates from our schools, many, many of them pastors and in other areas of ministry and also missionaries. One of the uh, passions that we have is to train Dominicans to go into missions, to go where the, where the unreached haven't been reached, and they have a vision and heart for that, and often they want to go into Muslim lands. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had a graduation. I think about 70-plus students graduated from the schools, and just this past month, we opened up another Bible school on the Haitian border, about two and a half hours from Santiago with about 47 pastors and key leaders attending. This is a town, 70,000 people. They have somewhere between 16 to 20 churches. That's all. No Bible schools of any kind that we're aware of. It's an area that needs an infusion of God's grace. And so pray for us when we, when we do go back that we can continue to take ministry into that area because it's a key city that can uh, really, I think, transform the area that it's in. Leaders 
are the key to doing what God wants to do and to expanding and extending the work of the ministries that God has entrusted us with. So we're very thankful and grateful for that. But we're not just working with adults, we're working with kids. And we have a school, a children's school that we're building. When it's done, it'll be able to accommodate 200 plus kids from pre-K to eighth grade. These are kids living in underserved, underprivileged areas in areas of abuse, alcohol, drugs. You know the whole scene that that it describes. Kids who have rich talents buried within them and if no one goes after them, we'll never know what they can do. But if we can reach them, the sky's the limit. God is the only one who can tell us what they can't or cannot do. And with him, all things are possible. So we're very thankful for what you did to sow into that ministry. We have several thousand dollars we put into it over the past 10 months, and we're hoping to finish the uh, building this year so we can get it operational. Women's ministry, Eileen's had a women's ministry for 14 years, a passion to help women discover their place in calling in God and to empower them to take that place. This past, uh, this past spring, she had her 14th uh, annual women's conference. Uh, 800 women attended the conference in a city we'd never done it in before, La Romana, city on the southern coast, and uh, 800 women coming and just drinking in the presence of God. And so we know that the Lord is changing lives. And, you know, one at a time, the stories, we don't know what heaven will reveal as to what your job, what your work and our work uh, has accomplished. That's in the Lord's hands. We just want to be faithful. Another area of ministry is business. Uh, we have had for the past six years a uh, desire to be involved in equipping Christian business people to be better business people, but also business people with a heart for the kingdom and a vision of themselves as leaders in the marketplace so that they can do their work with that idea in mind. And then as God blesses them, they can channel the resources, not just into their families, that's great, but also into the kingdom uh, through their local churches. So we do business conferences that we organize in different cities. This past November, we did one in the capital city of Santo Domingo. We had 400 uh, business people gathered together in a lecture hall on a uh, college campus that has never allowed North Americans to do that before. And uh, so that was a first, and we're thankful for the door that that opened. We'll be going back there this coming November. We had a business conference, a Christian business conference in the town of Bonau, which is a lot smaller. We had a, close to 100 business individuals gather for that. This was just a few months ago. And our hope is to, to build the infrastructure of business done God's way in the local churches so that the kingdom resources can be uh, unleashed so we can finish what God has called us to do. It's an exciting time to be there, feeling that you know, God has placed us in a, where we are for a time such as this, and thankful for, uh, you know, Eileen is 100% a part of everything that goes on, for the workers that he has placed in our side, and for those that he is going to send. If you want to talk further about this, we'd be glad to talk to you after service. Eileen has photos. Uh, God's good. He's doing great things, and we're thankful for the work that this church is doing to make sure that it continues. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.
Amen. We just want to give a word of appreciation to uh, just three of these couples uh, on this kind of a missionary Sunday. And uh, like I said, we didn't set this up. We didn't plan this. Pastor Joe just asked that he has to be gone tomorrow if, if I would share and, and Chris give a little report. And one by one, we heard that uh, Matt and Lena were going to be here this weekend. Dennis is going to be here this weekend. Paul and Eileen, they're going to be here. They'll be back for a service before they leave. They're going to be itinerating and traveling around to raise support for a while. They'll be back for that. But uh, just for you to see live people who are out doing what we said and uh, about the kingdom work in the world. And what a great experience. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's all give a round of applause. Thank you. God bless. Amen. It's just kind of neat to uh, see people that were part of our congregation and now for five years, what did you say, Dennis? How many? 21. 21, 33 years went out from the congregation and are still out on the field serving God. That's tremendous. Hallelujah. We want to praise God. And I'm sure before Paul and Eileen go back to the field, we'll hear from Eileen up here too, but not tonight. Some other time. Amen. Before we close the service tonight, I want us to look once again at uh, the text that I uh, gave before. And uh, I want to read the verses uh, after the text as well from uh, John 4, 35 to 38. And I want to read this from uh, the New Living Translation that I use for my personal reading from John 4, 35 to 38. Translation there says, it'll be on the screen, you know the saying, Four months, four months between planting and harvest. Here's Jesus said, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe unto harvest. You might say, well, what is the harvest? That passage goes on and says, the harvest is people brought to eternal life. What's the harvest? It's these people that they're reaching, our outreach, that, that, uh, People are brought to eternal life. That's the harvest. Then notice what it says next. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. One plants, another harvests. And it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get together in the harvest. You get together the harvest did. Wow. My points tonight are very simple because we've already had, had much sharing and I'm just going to do a few simple points right from the word of Scripture. Just two words for each one. And the first point is four months. Four months. People say, well, we got four more months. Time to plant, but the harvest doesn't come in. There's four months. Verse 35, there's a saying, four months between planting and harvest. In other words... We could paraphrase that say, hey, we've got a lot of time. Don't get in such a rush with this world evangelism thing. Uh, Pastor Merrill, why are you up there pushing missions? I've, I've heard that all my life. And the world just goes on and on and on. It doesn't, it doesn't come to an end. There's no hurry. There's no crisis. Everything just keeps on going. And I would like to say no. The world is not getting better. It's on the verge of collapse. Economically, politically, government policies, life as we know it, 
Look at 2 Peter 3, 4 to 10. I'm not going to take the time to read all of that tonight, but I want you to just look at what it says. It says in the last days, people are going to say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming back again? Everything continues as it were since creation. In other words, what I would say before, it goes on and on and on. Four months, we got plenty of time, don't worry about it. Verse 5 says, you forget about the flood. It happened. Nobody said it would, but it happened. Goes on and tells about that, but verse 9, it concludes, the Lord really isn't slow about his promise. They, well, it goes on, life just keeps going. The Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is patient for your sake. He's waiting that more people would come to repent. He's waiting that more villages that Paul was talking about, everyone could hear the gospel. Or what, what, what Matt was talking about, those three points that they want to do in, what, 50 locations. They want to see that done. And, and the Lord wants to see that done, so he's going to let them keep working at it. There are villages where, where Dennis and the pilots he trains flies into that need the gospel. Aren't you thankful that he's not just concerned about our well-being? He's concerned about the world. He loved the world. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. So there's no looseness. There's no, there's no um, waiting on his part because it goes as past that the end is coming and it describes what it's going to be like. So just because everything seems to go on and on and on doesn't mean that Jesus Christ isn't coming back again. That's the basic thought of this passage. Since every, and then it closed verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed, like it says here, what holy and godly lives we should be living. That should really challenge us to get with it, to get involved, to be a part of this thing, because God is waiting. Therefore, we should be living holy lives. We should be living godly uh, lives. If you want more on that, read the book of Matthew 24. In time, or the book of Revelation, to see what happens. And then the answer to the question, how much more time do we have to fulfill the Great Commission? The gospel says in uh, Matthew 24, this gospel shall be preached in all the world, at least for a witness. The witness is going to go out to the world, and then shall the end come. Because God's already said in the book of Revelation, there's going to be some there from every tribe, kindred, people, tongue, under heaven and earth. He is going to accomplish his will. He's going to rule and reign forever. The enemy may look like he's in control, in control, but everything is under his feet. Amen? Hallelujah. The second point I want to bring up, first point was four months. Second point I want to bring from these verses is, uh, King James says that very nicely, lift up your eyes and look. Kind of like the New Living Translation says, wake up. First we had four months, then wake up. A little stronger way. Quoting Jesus said, but I say, Jesus said, wake up. Wake up and look around you. And the verse here is in Romans 13, 11, I want to refer to, where it says there, knowing the time that is now high time to wake out of sleep. I believe God wants the church to wake up. I want us to catch that vision. 
People even said, why do we have to do so much for missions? Because it's time to wake up. <laughs> there are tribes that need to hear. There are villages that need to hear. There are people that have gone out. We need to get behind it and, and be a part of them, support them. Wake out of your sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day. Then it describes what the world is like, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in clamoring and wantonness, not in strife or envy, but you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make any provision for the lust of the flesh, for our desires. In other words, lift up our eyes. Take a look at the world around us. It needs Jesus. We've got a job to do. And that leads me to the third point in this passage. Third two words are ripe fields. For the fields are already ripe unto harvest. And as I give this plea tonight, I just want to say, as these people have said, I believe it's now or never. I thank God for the programs that, that are, are accomplishing. I had a phone conversation with uh, somebody this week that wants to, to meet with me next week. Somebody was associated with our church in the early days, and they just described, they're involved in world evangelism, and they described to me how they have a plan that every tribe that isn't reached yet, every language, I know Wycliffe is interested in that, that they will have the scripture, at least part of it, presented to them. They had a timetable when this is going to be done. There are people that are involved because the fields are ripe unto harvest. It's time to bring in the harvest. It's ripe and it's ready and we need to not have our minds clouded by the busyness or our politics or our life here. Like this is what it is. goes on and on and on. Wake up. I mean we just came from our Tarsi. <laughs> Try to show you what it was like. It's amazing the light that's going on in a village, uh, a primitive village that has maybe two to three percent Christians. But everybody knows where that seminary is. Everybody knows where the church is. They all know what's happening in that city. I've walked down the street with Matthew Thomas and had Hindu shop owners call us inside and say, would you pray that God would bless our business? They know who has power of prayer. That couple that was showing me the new baby, they're a Hindu couple. They're not safe, but they're coming to church every service. She still has the Hindu daughter in her forehead. And they had four miscarriages, couldn't have a baby. And in India, that's not a good sign. Uh, they, they need to have a family. And they came and we, they, they prayed over them. And 11 days old, they brought that. This is the tiniest little baby I ever saw. 11 days old, they brought it and said, look what God has done for us. Isn't that wonderful? See, God wants to do things. And we need to be a part of what God wants to do. Jesus said, work while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. Today is a day of salvation. Ripe fields. Fourth point is, what joy. Says this passage, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Tell you, I can't think of anything more rewarding than what we're involved in as Christians. What joy. There's nothing more exciting than seeing God move. Seeing nations today. Nations are actually being being affected by the gospel in our world today. You say, well, I don't see it in our area. 
I think we need to lift up our eyes and see the fields because God wants to do a great work in the hour. What joy it is for both the people that planted all those years. Can you imagine the thrill that, that Dennis had to see a young man? You met him in Indonesia, right? He's here training to do the very thing that Dennis modeled for him. Wow. What joy. You've got to have joy at that. Amen? What joy. And the last point is great results. Now you will get together in the harvest. Let me read the last part of that passage from John chapter 4. And it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. I have said in my life, I didn't do the planting, but the planting, but it's really great to go in and help with the harvest. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. We get to do the fun part. That's what it says here. You get to bring it. We get to do the fun part. A lot of the hard work has already been done for the sake of the gospel. There have been people that have paid a big price to bring us to this hour. It's amazing when you begin to study about the pioneers. I think of India. It's great to see what Matthew Thomas has done. We just showed you a few of the buildings that were built probably the nicest buildings in town, the best buildings in town. But there was a price laid by his father when he got off a train in that town, didn't even know the language, did not know Hindi at that point. He preached for a solid year only to his wife. Not one other person came to hear him. He preached for a solid year to his wife. But Chris told us today that church is packed out every service, praising God. Seminary, huh? Amen. The balcony for all the way around, it's for every seat taken because a man laid a price down. Matthew's told me about times they didn't have any food. They prayed and somebody put a sack of groceries on their doorstep that day. God took care of his people. And what I'm saying is they paid a price and we get to go over and teach. And the Bible school is already going because Curry and Thomas had the vision to start that thing in, in 68. I think it's wonderful what God is has doing. When I was a boy, in just in grade school, we had in our home a series of little pamphlets, little booklets about pioneer missionaries and what it cost them to go to the field and, and pioneer where Christ wasn't known. Uh, this is you know, back in the, the 50s. I was reading these, and uh, I can't find them now. I, I wish I had that series. It's called An Hour with. Different people. In your bulletin in the uh, Bible blog today, it talks about George Mueller. One of those books was An Hour with George Mueller. And uh, An Hour with David Livingston. How he went into Africa. He explored the whole continent. And uh, when he died, he, one thing he requested, that his heart be cut out of his body and buried in, in Africa. And then send his body back to English for burial. He wanted to leave his heart in Africa. I, I, I can't get away from the name Adoniram Judson. Went to the American Indians. He had TB so bad. They couldn't, he wouldn't quit. He died doing it. I've never forgot the name. Adoniram Judson. John and Betty Stan were missionaries to China. I remember reading their book over and over. An hour with John and Betty Stan. Name stuck in my mind, but I couldn't remember the details. So I went online this past week. And you know, from the 40s, 50s, 
there were eight, ten things about, uh, articles about John and Betty Stam, how that the communists came in at that time to take over China. They were going from village to village preaching Jesus Christ, and both this young couple, man and wife, they were beheaded. Their heads were cut off because they were out sowing the gospel. I'm talking about people that paid a big price, and yet there's more Christians underground in China. God's sending great revival. And Hudson Taylor was another one. Great price to go to China, started the China Inland Mission. But the one that really stood out to me was an hour with William Carey. William Carey was a pioneer who went to India. Price he had to pay, he had to come. There's no way to get there. He came on a freighter boat for months. Got off in India, Bombay. He knew nothing. Did not know where he was. Did not know the language. Didn't know. I shudder. Every time I go to India, I think of William Carey getting off of a freighter boat after four months of traveling there and not knowing a thing in that country. And yet he sowed the gospel in India. Say, so is a price to go to India? Yeah, sure. It took me 40 hours to get home. So people say, you paid a big price to go. But yeah, it really was. I can still feel the effect of my body. But I also had a 380 Airbus jet to fly back on. Not four months on a cargo ship. Somebody paid the price, as it says there, so that we can with great joy see the results of what we're seeing today. I read those little booklets over and over as a child. I, I've gone online trying to find them. I wish I could find them. You know, nothing seemed as important to me as a little child in, in grade school as to serve the Lord and to get the gospel out to the nations who have not heard. I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard the quote from Oswald J. Smith, missionary statesman, pastor in Toronto, who years ago said, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. That's a powerful, we hear the gospel over and over. I don't know if I'm going to go to church today. We've heard it before. But nobody has the right to hear it twice, technically, until everybody's heard it once. What a challenge that is. My points tonight were very simple, just two words for each. I think they're on the screen. Four months. Coming up? No. We're getting there. Okay. Four months. Do we have four more months before we have to be concerned? I don't think so. I don't think so. If not now, when are we going to do it? Second point, wake up. Those are strong words, but, but we need to hear them. Ripe fields. Yeah, they really are. Nations are coming to God today. What joy. Yeah, I can't think of anything greater and great results. We get to bring the harvest in. We get to be. I get to go to India. What results? And I want to close today by saying thank you for going. I want to thank uh, these people who part of CLC who have gone out uh, and gone to the field and are here to chair tonight. But I want to thank people from our congregation. I want to say tomorrow morning, we've got people every month make a trip from CLC down to the prison at Pontiac and deal with prisoners, leading them to the Lord. We've got uh, people reach out to neighbors. You don't know how many hours people are working in the kids' pantry because they're reaching unreached people right here in our suburb. Reaching unreached people. The children's ministry. People coming to 
to, to church in the youth ministry where their parents don't come, but they are being reached with the gospel. Now I think of the people going out from, from our church. Pastor Harry preached last week, and he said already this year he's flown 750,000 miles in meetings, setting up conferences around the globe. He'll be in church tomorrow morning, and in the afternoon he flies out overseas again doing the work. But just people in the church. I, I think of Ted and Tess in Vola. Went this year, retirement age, went to Saudi Arabia to help disciple pastors that were starting churches and turned around home a few weeks and went back to the Philippines because he had three churches he wanted to build in Philippines from people that he had discipled to lead those churches at retirement age. Lars Svensson, part of our congregation, he's not a pastor, he's a cement contractor. We talked about it when he was here before. He's just doing what God equipped him to do, and I think it's 78 trips he's made from the Fiji Islands to Romania to all over Central South America, uh, even to Haiti, the last trip, uh, building for the kingdom of God. Pastor Darrell leaves along with Pastor Harry and is taking people from our congregation. Jennifer's going to go. Uh, Luke, his son's going to go. Uh, Laura Banger's going to go. And some of the people from our church going to Russia. Why? To work with the street children that are, are just existing on drugs and, and poverty. No hope without the gospel. So I want to thank you, number one, for going. Say, we all can't do that. Number two, I'd like to thank you all for giving to missions every month so that we can continue to go forth. Every one of these people up here mentioned that tonight. So we can continue sending partial support to about 20 different people on different countries around the world. And thirdly, thank you all for praying faithfully. We pray every Wednesday night, praying that laborers will go around the, around the world accomplishing something for God. Jesus said, the harvest is great, the labors are few. Pray. Ask the Lord to send more workers out into his harvest field. Could we in closing just pray right now and ask the Lord to do this for us tonight. Lord, I want to take you, I want to ask you to take these few hurried words, the visual, the visual effects that we've seen tonight, not only for pictures, but for people are there, and stamp it on the image of our heart. Lord, as you did for me when I was a little boy, reading those books over and over, God, I pray that you might let us sense the urgency of the hour, that we don't have four months to get busy. The fields are ripe. But Lord, I pray you'll inspire us with the joy there is, whether we're going, whether we're giving, whether we're praying. I pray, O oh God, that you might help us in this, in this hour. Amen. Amen. We're going to conclude tonight by receiving an offering, which we do every uh, first Sunday and communion Sunday. Every first Sunday of the month, we all receive an offering to help those in need, and that's a witness uh, to the grace of God. But in this service, I would like for us to reach out and uh, include the world too. There's an envelope in front of each of you, in, in front of you, and... Uh, I'd like for you after this message, and I take this envelope, and let's put some legs to this message. Each one personally. There's two things you can do right now. On the inside, there's a line for special needs. This is our commitment to help those have a need for this month. 
Every month we use this money up. Uh, this past week we've had, I don't know, two or three, four uh, needy uh, things we met with to help take care of needs. Would you give something toward that for use this month? Then on there, there's also a line for missions. And I just think maybe God's speaking to somebody that you want to be a blessing, even to the people that have come tonight, that we can share extra with them, help them on their way, be able to reach out even more to spread the gospel. The message we've been speaking to you tonight, that we would reach out and be able to, to, to do something great with our involvement. Maybe God spoke to you to, to give a larger gift. Put that on there, that we can invest that in the harvest field. But any amount shows that our hearts are right, that our sincere desire to follow Christ, his commands, to join with those uh, who are out serving the Lord. And just note, make a note where you want that gift uh, to go. I'm going to ask Pastor Darrell to come and pray over this offering and give us the benediction and close this missionary service. It's been good to have all of you here and our missionaries here too tonight.